0: This is Digital Health Today, Episode 7.
1: Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online
0: at digitalhealthtoday.com. Now, here is your host, Dan Kendall. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Digital Health Today. This is the seventh show in our series, and I hope that you're enjoying listening to these shows as much as I'm enjoying recording them. As I record this session, it's June 2016, and it's hard to believe, but we are almost halfway through 2016. Every year seems to be going faster and faster. May was another crazy busy month. I took some great trips, met with some really interesting people, and I'll be bringing some of these people to you here on this and in future podcasts. One of the trips I took was to the Health 2.0 Europe conference in Barcelona. If you've never been to this meeting before, I highly recommend it. Matthew Holt and Pascal Lardier put on an excellent event, of course, with help from a team of people such as Aline Noizé. Aline really helped me out, connecting me with the speakers and presenters of this event. So a big thank you to Matthew, Pascal, and Aline for another terrific Health 2.0 conference. This year, Health 2.0 Europe featured keynotes and presenters from digital health leaders around the world, including Esther Dyson. Unity Stokes, and Dr. Raphael Grossman, and many, many others. Matthew also introduced an alternative name for digital health. Apparently, he dislikes the term digital health and prefers the name Smack Health, S-M-A-C, Smack Health. We'll leave that discussion for another day, and hopefully we'll have Matthew on here to explain why he prefers the term Smack Health to digital health. It doesn't really ring with me, but he's he can come on to explain it, and I, I think you might be convinced as well. Another great speaker at the Health 2.0 Europe conference was Pablo Pantaleoni, and he's the guest that's with us here today. Pablo was an economist and an entrepreneur. He's worked for banks and brokering firms specializing in international markets. He's also worked for the United Nations, GSMA, Morgan Stanley, IBM, and Cisco Systems. In his second year at university, he founded his very first startup, which was an online platform for young European students offering a personalized search for places to live, language courses, and internships. That business expanded to more than 40 cities in 14 different European countries. In the end, he decided to sell the company in order to finish his studies. In 2011, he founded Medtep with his co-founder, Jacob Sanol. Medtep is focusing on facilitating lasting behavioral change by personalizing validated prevention and treatment plans. Clinics, patients, pharmaceutical and insurance companies all over the world use the platform Pablo is the CEO of the company, and he's been recognized in the 30 Under 30 in Healthcare by Forbes Magazine in the 2016 edition. Pablo is passionate about developing young entrepreneurs, and he's the president of a nonprofit organization with that aim. Pablo's going to talk to us about his experience building MedTep from scratch, how he avoided doing pilots and got customers instead, how he grew his business within Spain, but then also expanded into the US and why he chose the US as a market, as well as why he chose Silicon Valley as a place to be based there. As always, you can get complete show notes by visiting our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash seven. That's the number seven. That'll take you straight to a page with Pablo's interview and links to anything that we talk about on this podcast. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Pablo Pantaleone of MedTep. Pablo, welcome to the program.
1: No, well, my pleasure. Thank you, Dan, for, for the opportunity.
0: I just gave the listeners a little bit of information on your background. Can you fill in some gaps and share a little bit about your personal journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, well, myself, I think I've always been an entrepreneur. So, I I remember when I was 15 uh, in high school, and then, well, they were organizing a um, soccer uh, championship and it was a nonprofit. But then my teacher said, okay, you have to be a referee. And I said, why? And, and I was the very first one who asked why, you know. So I started, uh, well, a, a sponsorship thing around the championship, and we achieved, well, awesome results. So I mean, I've always been asking myself questions, and uh, first in terms of education, and and also real estate with my first startup, and now with MedTap.
0: Well, let's start with your current project. Can you tell us exactly what MedTap is and what it does? Yeah, of course.
1: So we facilitate lasting behavioral changes by personalizing validated prevention and, and treatment plans. So what we do, actually, we are a care plan builder. We take existing validated follow-up protocols and turn them into a specific care plans. We work in chronic diseases. We have plans for diabetes, hypertension, asthma, CBD, in rare diseases such as hemophilia or idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, and also in the mental health space and in prevention as well. So any physician uh, in the world can personalize our existing care plans or can build their own ones. It's a really, really good tool. After the diagnostic, when the physician is going to prescribe a follow-up treatment, they can do it through, directly through our platform and prescribe a digital therapy to the patient. And then it's the patient who is doing the follow-up through our platform, our apps, or through all the apps and devices on the wellness space that we're integrated with.
0: What exactly does it offer to professionals? What is the the, the value that you're bringing to the professionals using the platform?
1: Yeah. So first of all, they can well, understand really good about patients' daily habits, about what people are doing between visits. And especially well, what we learn is that physicians, they're prescribing follow-up treatments after the diagnostic. And in most cases, they have no idea about what the patients are doing between visits. So at the same time, if all these patients are starting tracking themselves with specific devices and apps on the wellness space, I mean, why we cannot connect all this information with doctor's prescriptions? So in terms of the value for all these physicians, it's about Again, tracking all the specific uh, follow-ups on, on a specific disease. And then they have the whole overview about how the patients are dealing with their treatment. And they have all the patients separate in different groups. So the ones that are doing the right follow-up, the ones that are in pre-crisis, and the ones that need to have a visit. So... Again, it's, it's a really good tool to help them manage better all the, the follow-up process between
0: visits. And how do the patients feel about participating and having this additional data provided to their healthcare providers? It's it's very useful for them because they
1: are already used to fill this information. But in, in terms of we don't provide this content, it's, it's already existing clinical protocols and after the diagnostic, the, the physician, it's, it's prescribing all the specific questions. And all these patients, especially the ones that have a specific disease, a chronic disease or a rare disease, they are used to track all this information. So what we are doing now, it's, we, we do this through our technology, very easy to use. You can do it through your smartphone or even if you have a specific device or app, we can collect all this information directly from them. And it's, it's very, very helpful for them because they understand how important it is to take the medication, how important it is to be compliant with, with all the, the specific terms on the follow-up process, not just the medication. I mean, diet and specific exercises, the whole process. So they, they understand really, really good in the daily life how important it is to do the right follow-up.
0: So just so I'm clear, is it 100% app-based or is there a web portal as well?
1: Both, yeah.
0: There's both pieces. All right. So take us back to the very beginning. You started off, you were an economist. You worked for a variety of companies, United Nations, Morgan Stanley, IBM, a lot of, a lot of big names that people would recognize. What was the driver that made this transition into healthcare? And how did you start out when you, when you started this business with Jacob?
1: Well, b- very good question. I mean, I was working previous for MedTap for an investment banking. And I mean, I made good money. I really enjoyed what I was doing. But at the other side, well, I've been always an entrepreneur. And at the same time, I see the healthcare space. It was a huge challenge for me. I I remember when Jacob approached me and said, okay, I have this idea in the healthcare space. And my first answer was, well, I'm not an expert in the healthcare space. But at the same time, for me, what makes me Happy about running this company, it's reading all the testimonies that we receive every single day from many, many different patients that say, okay, thanks to your tool, I have a better quality of life. I'm improving on my follow up process. So, this is the most important thing. You know, we are helping a lot of people uh, to improve their follow up process. So, it was a huge challenge. It's still a huge th- challenge. And this was the main driver why I quit my job and, and started working on MedTap.
0: So you started the business in 2011. What were some of the first things you guys did? Did you develop a prototype immediately? Did you, did you go out and try to raise money? Did you get a first client? Take me through the process.
1: Yeah, actually, we launched the product in 2012. So 2011, we started part-time. And then 2012, we launched our product. It was not the same product, but it's nowadays. So it, it was more a PHR system. And then our, well, we, we are from the first day on 100% customer focus. So we start working in our tool with many physicians. And then we start working with small private clinics in Spain. But then we realize, okay, how... How difficult it was to scale the business, all the sales cycle, how tough it was. So, we learned and we, we saw the gap where we are now in the follow up process. So, we we were pivoting the company in 2013 in the space that where we are now. But, I mean, in all the process since we started, well, we were 100% focused on customers. Of course, we had a very small friends and family around that helped us. It was in December 2012. But from then, 2013 and 2014, we were on break even. So small numbers, but 100% focused on customers.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, to to break even that soon, especially in health tech, that that's a, a fantastic result. I understand that you've avoided doing pilots since the very beginning. Yet, So many early stage businesses in healthcare get caught in this circle of spending time and money and energy piloting their products and services. How did you manage to avoid all that?
1: That's right. I mean, I know so many companies running different pilots, and then even the pilots are successful it's really hard to scale this pilot for a real contract. So from the first day on, we said, "Okay, no, well, there is an like an initial phase from the project where we can test uh, A, B, C, but if we don't have D, E, F, we don't start uh, the project." So this is how it works, and we approach this very clearly with all our customers and partners, and it works. So, and I mean. It's hard when you start because you have to say no to a lot of people. But once you have the first and the second, it's it's easier.
0: Now, you have experience working internationally and you started this business in Spain. As you were scaling and getting ready to grow, where did you go first? What were the markets that you turned to first?
1: We started the company in Spain because we were born and grew up here in Spain and, and we have good network and we know the healthcare space here. However, in terms of, I mean, the opportunities, as you know, well, the digital health space, there's a huge market in the US and we learned this and all the main, well, competitors, partners are in the US. So this is why we moved the company back in 2015. But I mean, I see a lot of opportunities in Europe, especially UK, Germany, on the reimbursement space with private insurance companies, hopefully one day with 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 the public system as well. So yeah, I see many, many opportunities here in Europe. Again, it's it's not a there are a lot of opportunities, however, yeah, the US it's the US. But yeah, I see so many interesting companies in Europe. So for us, we have still a big part of our operations here in Europe and a huge team working in Barcelona so we have our our office in in barcelona in spain and then our headquarters in in san francisco so if you can deal with both markets i mean i think it's it's smart to do it because uh, they're very very different markets and then i know many us mar- uh us companies they focus just in the us i mean it's a huge market i know but I mean, they they could scale very, very fast in Europe, and they they are focused 100% on the US market. So we have to take an advantage from that.
0: Yeah. And you also started the business in Barcelona. Yes. Yeah. And Barcelona has a really strong reputation for digital health. So I'm sure that that was a very good decision to get started there in that market. And as you said, you had a good network and a good environment to really grow it. And I've spoken to a lot of companies that start in Europe, and then when they want to expand, they don't expand necessarily first to the neighboring countries they do look to accelerate their growth substantially by going to a market as you've done in the U.S. Now, the U.S. is a big country, lots of great centers for health innovation all across the U.S., Boston, San Diego, uh, Austin, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, lots of great cities. What did you consider when you made your decision to relocate to the U.S.? What were you looking at?
1: Well, I, I like your question. Well, it was funny. Uh, we realized it was summer 2014 that we had to move the company to the US because, again, uh, all our main partners, competitors, I mean, it was it was growing a lot. Uh, the following up startups, well, the, the startups that are in our space. So I spent, I remember like, well, we were deciding between Boston, New York and San Francisco. And uh, why? Well, First, because in terms of Boston, it's a, yeah, it's a strong hub for healthcare. And then New York, because mainly for startup health, we are a startup health company. So we thought that they could help us a lot and they did. So, and third, San Francisco, because it's Silicon Valley. And also because again, all our main partners and big competitors were, well, in in the Bay Area. So I spent almost three months traveling nonstop between Boston, New York and SF. And then, well, there were more opportunities running on the Bay Area. And this is why we decided to finally to choose San Francisco. And, and then, well, of course, we, we have a few deals also on the East Coast, but we, we choose San Francisco because, again, we, we close a few very interesting partnerships there.
0: Yeah. And considering that you grew up in Spain, the West Coast is probably a pretty good choice of places to live.
1: (laughs) Yeah. In terms of weather, yes. (laughs) But but in terms of time difference, it's tough because, well, I wake up every day at 5 a.m and start working with Europe. So yeah, in terms of time difference, six hours versus nine hours, this is a huge difference.
0: Yeah, I I worked in California for a few years and every morning when I woke up, I always felt like I was way behind because you're right, it's eight or nine hours time difference. And it feels like so much of the world has already been working and your inbox is full and you you start off a little bit behind, but it's a great place to, to live and work. So the, the climates might be similar in some ways, but the cost structures are certainly very different. I mean, California is one of the most expensive places to live in the U.S. Spain is known for being fairly affordable and having just been there recently, you know, it's a beautiful spot. And, yet, indeed, things are pretty affordable. How did you find that as a as a business uh, owner, as an entrepreneur, how did you manage the the business to go from a very low-cost basis to one that's much higher? And then how did you adjust your – business model accordingly
1: well i'm gonna share an anecdote with you uh, one of my investors just said well pablo i, I love uh, the way how you think so you think like an american so in, in order to think big but at the same time you spend money like a catalan you know from people in catalonia we're known because well we don't want to spend a lot of money
0: <laughs> in, in
1: terms of cost. <laughs> yeah. So, well, because I grew up in Spain, I have well, this expertise. And then, uh, well, living all over the world, I learned about, yeah, again, think big. So it's a trade-off for sure. So we started in San Francisco, three of us. So first I, I moved there. Then I moved one of my colleagues from Barcelona to SF. And then we hired another guy. And the way how it works, it's, of course, in terms of communication, business model, in terms of many, many things, you have to change the whole approach to the U.S. market. But at the same time, well, if we just have the people that we need in the U.S., you know, so we still have a big part of our team in Barcelona. And then we are really, very really careful in the hiring process in the U.S. I mean, now we are three. We're gonna scale the team in the u s for sure this year, and we're gonna end up in 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 i don't know close to ten people maybe, but when you first move there, you have to well focus hundred percent again in customers partnerships investors as well. but when you achieve all these goals, then you can hire more and more team so in terms of cost again it's big part of our team it's it's still in Barcelona, so we can deal with it. And yeah, so it's I mean it's tough for me because I'm traveling all the time yeah, back and forth. But yeah, I think we, we did a smart move in terms of now being a US company but still have a lot of operations and people working from, from Europe.
0: Yep. You've you've won some big clients, I understand. And you're working with some large clients. And you you also, you know, were formed outside the US and, and came to the US how did you position yourself to be successful with some of the large customers? I mean, you you aren't from the US, you weren't born and bred in California, you're working there now. Some people think that the US might have a bit of a bias towards, you know, US companies. How have you found it having started in Spain and moving to the US? And then how have you positioned yourself to be successful?
1: I mean, again, I, I really, well, I started as an entrepreneur when I was really young. So of course, there are a lot of customers that they prefer working with American companies versus companies from, from Europe or other places. I learned from very young to fight against all this criteria. Also, I remember well people in Spain, a few years ago, they see me as, okay, so you didn't have as much experience. So why do you come to my office and explain that this, you know? So again, you learn. It. And in terms of I mean, in California, there are so many immigrants that it's it's. I guess it's easier than other places in the U.S. And at the same time, once we move to, to California, we already have a few very interesting customers all over the world. So we already have success cases. And when we approach the customer, I mean, of course, while well, we are an American company now, I know that I was not born and raised in the U.S., And I don't have a very good accent. But at the same time, we have more customers than other American companies. And potentially, we're more affordable, you know. So if you have a great product, and you are transparent to your customer, and you can present real cases, I mean, it works, you know. So this is is how it works. It's the market game.
0: Yeah. I think just listening to everything you said there, I think uh, to sum it up, what you're doing is you're selling, right? I mean, and I know this myself, you know, I'm an American. I moved to the UK 13 years ago and UK and US might be more similar in some ways and the language might be uh, very similar, but Obviously, largely the same, but still it's about working in different cultures. and you know I've worked throughout Europe. and if you're selling, if you're as you say, if you have a great product, if you have a solution, if you're trying to address people's problems and bring better solutions to the market, then and especially as you said, if you can position that where you, you it's affordable and it works out financially, they can uh, save money or make money on it, then it all makes sense. yeah. what's been the most difficult thing then about the expansion? what do you wish that you knew a little bit earlier in the process?
1: Well dealing with with a lot of people in nine hours time difference, it's tough. So this is yeah. And this is why again I live in San Francisco, but I have to come to Barcelona very, very often to well, because we are hiring a lot of a lot of people and and new customers and so again to we have now three offices, one in Barcelona, another one in San Francisco, and the third one in Mexico City. And It's not easy to, well, coordinate the three offices, three different time zones. And yeah, and and then because there are three different markets, also you have to approach the market in a different way. And yeah, you have to learn and move very, very quickly on this process.
0: It's three different markets. It's several different languages. And it's also different care plans, are they not? I mean, don't they have different care plans that are validated in the different markets? So so you have to adjust not just for the language or the different market, but also for the actual clinical application? Well,
1: thanks for the question because now I can explain very, very clearly what we do and our competitive advantage. I mean, we don't have to adapt all these care plans. We are a care plan builder. We don't do care plans. People do care plans in our platform, you know? So it's 100% personalized. You can do different care plans in different markets and this is how it works. So it's a very, very flexible tool where, of course, there are different protocols in each market, uh, even if we close a specific partnership with a wall federation of any specific disease. But yes, so the protocols are different. The market is different. Language is different. But you can personalize or build your own care plans in our platform uh, for, for your specific market and for your specific needs.
0: Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense now. Where do you see your company going in the next one to two years, Pablo?
1: I I see the company scaling very, very fast. Now that we have a very scalable product, that we have uh, very, very interesting outcomes, that we have uh, big customers, it's time to run and scale the business, mainly in Europe and in the U.S. for sure. So we have to focus now in, again, sales, doing partnership, and scaling the business in both markets.
0: Terrific. Well, listen, we're really excited to follow your progress and continue to uh, to see your success in these various markets. And where can people learn more about the product?
1: Well, you can go to medtap.com. And yeah, you can see there in our webpage, all the information. And if you need any specific information, then you can send us an email to contact at and we can send you specific information.
0: Excellent. We'll have all those links in the show notes and it's medtep.com. M E D T E P dot com. And we'll make sure we have that email address in the show notes as well. Pablo, I think we're running up to the end of our time. I have five quick questions that I like to ask each guest. Do you have a few minutes for me? Yeah, for sure. Fantastic. Pablo, why did you choose to pursue a career in healthcare?
1: Because I see, well, there is a need in healthcare. I think education and healthcare, they're the two big markets where we need to, to change the whole ecosystem. And especially, well, first through the Obamacare and the US, but now I see also the things running faster in Europe. I think there is a huge need, and I'm a guy who loves challenge. So this is why I choose the healthcare space. And again, it's because we help people to improve their quality of life and this is very very important for us
0: what's the best advice you've ever received or a favorite quote or saying that motivates you
1: build a life where you don't have to escape in terms of the last three years i had no vacations but i don't need the vacation you know so i love my life and if you build your life in the way that you enjoy every day of your single life, then you don't need to build a, a way out.
0: What book would you recommend to our listeners and why? Well, I remember a few,
1: few years ago, I, I read a book from uh, Peter Thiel, From Zero to One. And I think this is a really good one for a young entrepreneur, especially. Excellent.
0: That is a terrific book. And I'll have that link on the show notes as well. What technology, tool, or app, besides Slack, <laughs> would you recommend and why slack no I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> well i would say whatsapp because yeah uh, the main two tools that i use in in uh, well every day it's it's email then slack and and whatsapp yeah and whatsapp i know in the in, well people in the u.s they don't use as much whatsapp but all over the world it's the, it's the main tool and especially not just with Within your company, with your friends, family, WhatsApp, it's, I mean, very, very helpful.
0: We'll be making a financial donation to a charity of your choice. What charity have you selected and can you tell us a bit about what they do?
1: Yeah, I choose Days. So, AuroraDIS is the Association for Rare Diseases and... I love how close they stay with patients with rare diseases. It's really tough. I'm very close to, to all these patients, and we have specific plans for a few rare diseases. And it's really, really hard when you have no idea which disease that your son or daughter has. There is no specific diagnostic. So they, they, need, they need resources for uh, investigation. So well, I think it's it's the perfect place to to do a donation.
0: Great. I'm sorry. What was the name of that again?
1: Euronidis. How so, do you spell that? E u r o r d i s.
0: I'll I'll make sure we make that donation. I'll forward you a confirmation of that and include the links to that charity in the show notes. Thank you for suggesting them.
1: No. Thanks to you,
0: Pablo. That brings us to the end of our interview. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? Any other messages you'd like to uh, send to the the listeners?
1: Yes, for sure. I mean, I love uh, how many entrepreneurs are now starting in healthcare. So if I can be helpful in any way, please, please, you can reach me at Pablo at com. And well, I think there are many, many possible synergies in the space and we have to compete with the big players in the ecosystem. So I encourage to every entrepreneur to work with other entrepreneurs in the space because together we can go further.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks very much for being part of the show, Pablo. Thank you so much, Dan, for the opportunity. I really enjoyed my time here. Well, there you have it. That's Pablo Pantaleone, the CEO and co-founder of MedTEP, medtep MedTEP.com. Be sure to check out our show notes at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash seven. There you'll find all the links to everything we discussed on the program and ways to get in touch with Pablo directly. While you're there on the website, please take a minute just to subscribe to our newsletter so you can be kept up to date on future episodes. We have Dr. Leslie Saxon from USC in California coming on the program to talk about her virtual clinic. We also have Far John Marr from Inspectos, who's going to talk about his 2016 State of Digital Health Innovation Report, which was launched just a few months ago. Join the mailing list, subscribe on iTunes, stay in touch, and let me know what you think and what you'd like to see next. Thanks very much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on innovating.